The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. One last sort of topical message in this little vision mini-series. It's been a four-part series. It's part four. And so if you have a Bible or Bible app, we're going to start in Hebrews 10. We're also going to show verses on the screen because we're going to cover a lot of ground. I don't actually prefer to preach this way. Our typical practice is unpacking a passage of Scripture. We return to that next week with the book of Revelation, and we'll preach through the next two sections of Revelation, taking us up to Thanksgiving and Advent. So I'm looking forward to that, but I hope this has been a helpful topical series on our vision together. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit's help And then Mindy's going to read our beginning passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we ask you to open the eyes of our hearts to behold wondrous things out of your law, your instruction, your word. Grant us even now, we pray, Holy Spirit, the gift of illumination. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of the Lord from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of our Lord. Thank you, Mindy. We've been talking about this series of forming disciples, followers of Jesus, to be people who don't just know about God, as vital as that is, but people who know and enjoy God himself that we would be shaped and formed through our communion with God in community with each other. But, but what does the Sunday service have to do with that? How is the Sunday service related to forming disciples, people who know and enjoy God? That's an important question and a timely question. It's been said that today we are experiencing the great de-churching, the great de-churching, a book that goes by by that title notes, quote, about 15% of American adults living today, about 40 million people in the U.S. have stopped going to church. And most of this de-churching has happened in the last 25 years. 
Over the last 25 years, almost 40 million people, the authors claim, have stopped going to church, stopped going to worship services like this one. And yet, to these persecuted Christians in Hebrews 10, for whom it would not just be easier but safer to stay at home on Sundays, God says in verse 24, which Mindy read to us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. There was a de-churching then due to persecution, but why now? Why now, when God is so clear here in Hebrews 10, don't neglect to meet together like this? Certainly, the COVID pandemic accelerated this process for us of late. We had, of course, online services, as many did, and online services are needed for, were needed for a time in a certain situation, but they're not the gathered church described in verse 24. Others are disenchanted with how we do church in the American church today. They criticize the typical evangelical service, rightly, I think, as part rock concert, part TED Talk. Gathered worship becomes gathered entertainment with a self-help seminar. But maybe for us, if you're like me at least, maybe for many of us, the temptation is more to what C.S. Lewis called the horror of the same old thing. The horror of, oh, it's Sunday again that we don't see the purpose, that we don't see the forming, shaping purpose of disciples in gathering like this. So I want to ask, why gathered worship? Why for the formation and growth of followers of Jesus is this time so important? And I want to look to the book of Hebrews especially for some answers in three ways, three reasons why. Here's the first. First, we receive from the God we worship. First reason why. We receive. We receive from the God we worship. Let me acknowledge from the outset, the accent in the New Testament is what, on what D.A. Carson calls constant worship, that all of life is worship for the Christian, but gathered worship does appear pretty prominently in a number of places like the book of Acts and the book of Hebrews and some other places in the New Testament. So gathered worship is a biblical expectation for the Christian, but is that why you're here mainly? Is it mainly out of a sense of duty? an obligation to fulfill? You know, this is what I'm supposed to do. Do you come out of a sense of 
kind of giving to God, paying back a debt you sort of owe. We are to give God glory. But is that how we do so? Uh, A debt, a, a duty, an obligation. I would submit to you our motive for gathered worship is not first giving to God, but receiving from God. Our passage, I think, alludes to this. It invites us to draw near to God through Jesus to receive. Did you notice that? Be stirred up to love and good works through his people by God, though, using his people. But it's even more direct than that in Hebrews. You can flip over to Hebrews 4 or look on the screen. In Hebrews 4, we find that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. So, here's the punchline. Let us then with confidence draw near, like in Hebrews 10, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive Receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need like we sang about. We draw near to receive. But this is even more clear, I think, in Psalm 50 as it relates to worship. In Psalm 50, God addresses his people actually for their rather empty worship. In Psalm 50, verse 8, God says, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. It would seem the people are being faithful, God acknowledges, to offer their sacrifices, to show up every Sunday, as it were. But they think, it would seem, he's some kind of needy God because I've got this duty, I've got this obligation to satisfy him and bring these sacrifices. And God says, look, I'm not lacking beasts or cattle. That's not the point. In fact, I love how he goes on. He says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. Like, if I were hungry, I would not inform you of that. Instead, he says, he goes on, Psalm 50, this is how you'll glorify me. Verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, of of gratefulness. Why? And perform your vows to the Most High. Here's why. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you then shall glorify me. Isn't that an interesting worship dynamic? I wonder if that changes how you view worship. God is looking for a sacrifice, as it were, of thanksgiving, gratefulness, recognizing his goodness. Why? Because we received from him. We call on him. He delivers us. And so we then glorify him for his goodness and for us, for all we've received in Jesus. So catch this, friends. Worship worship is not giving to God as if we were his benefactor. Worship is receiving from him because he is our benefactor. God has no lack. He doesn't need anything from us. 
He is the giver, and you are the receiver. And so you worshiped him. God is glorified as the giver. This should shape us for why we come on Sundays. That you would come saying, Lord, I am here to receive from you. And so you bring to him your weakness, your need, your troubles, that he might meet you right there, as we lamented earlier. So friends, come, come weak. Come here needy. Come here weary. Come, come not in your strength, in your weakness, that he might meet you. Come here empty, as it were, for him to fill you. Come here tired and, and worn out that he might strengthen you and help you. Uh, here's, here's a thought I had. On the Sundays, you find it hardest to get out of bed, but you come anyway, saying, Lord, I need you. I come to receive from you through your song, these songs, your word, your supper. Friends, that's worship. God is glorified. He says, I love that. You're here. Yes, let me meet you. Can he meet you on your own? Of course. Does he meet you in a different way when we're to gather, uh, gather together? I do think so. Hebrews chapter 10. That's a massively important why. As we are formed as followers of Jesus, we receive from the God through worship. Here's a second why. We encounter the God we worship. We encounter him. We encounter the God we worship. This is alluded to, in a way, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, where we read, therefore, brothers and sisters, brethren would be a better English word. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to, notice, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh. Now, the readers of the book of Hebrews were tempted to go back to Old Testament forms of worship because of the persecution. So the author here references the curtain in the temple in Jerusalem, which set off the most holy place, the place of God's immediate presence. But when Jesus died and rose, that curtain was literally torn into by God from top to bottom. That's what he's referencing when he says, now we enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way through the curtain, the curtain that is his flesh, the very presence of God. Now, the implication of that is spelled out in chapter 12. So if you still have your Bible open, you can turn to chapter 12 or look on the screen. The implication of that is now spelled out in chapter 12, particularly as it relates to worship. Verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, he says, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice 
whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He's talking about the scene in Exodus, which we will look at next calendar year, when Israel comes to Mount Sinai, there is the giving of the law, and they encounter God. And it's a terrifying encounter for them. But he says now, in Jesus, we have a different kind of encounter with God. Verse 22. But you, Christians, you have come to Mount Zion, which is... Jerusalem, but a different Jerusalem here. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, oh my, and to innumerable angels in festal, celebratory, gathering, and to the assembly, or the word is also translated church, to the, to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and and to God, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, just like we sang, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Catch this. Catch what God has done for you in Christ. You've been joined to the heavenly throng worshiping God. Innumerable angels, the, the church of departed believers, those who died in faith, they are in the presence of God. And it says we've come with them to God and to, sorry, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. And so he'll go on to say a little bit later, and so worship God acceptably in reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. My point is, for you, Christian, that is already a reality for you. It is already a reality for you. You've been joined to that heavenly throng of worshipers, but it would seem the Reality is experienced in some form or fashion in an unseen but real way as we gather like this, as the church on earth gathers in local churches. That in some sense, we as a church participate in that worship with that church. Edmund Clowney, scholar Edmund Clowney comments, he says, in corporate worship, we rise by faith to enter the, the heavenly assembly of the saints and angels. Did you know that's happening in La Mesa Community Center? Did, were you aware of that? By faith, we rise to enter the heavenly assembly and encounter God in Christ. Chad Bird agrees and comments on Hebrews 12 helpfully. Chad Bird writes, Today we will go to church. 
to gather with our fellow believers around the gifts of Christ. And who will be there? Christ, of course. And with him, all the hosts of heaven. The angels, the archangels, and all those who have preceded us into glory. Notice this. There are always more present in church than our eyes perceive. Don't you love that? There are always more present in church as we worship than our eyes perceive. Then he goes on to conclude, in worship, earth joins heaven. Pause. <laughs> in worship, gathered worship, earth joins heaven. Around the throne of God, And of the Lamb. See Revelation 5, which we'll preach in two weeks. I think that's an encounter with God. I think that's formational for disciples. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Our Lord is present with his people by the Spirit. We are an expression of the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, the dwelling place of God by his Spirit makes sense as we gather, as we gather we encounter his presence in some way. I think that happens as we worship through song. It happens as we worship through God's word being preached. Not because of who is doing the preaching, but because of what we preach. God's word is his, his breath, right? His breathed out word, 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is how God comes to us, as it were, by his breath, his spirit. So the writer to the Hebrews calls it the living and active word in chapter 4. Living and active. Friends, as the living and active word is proclaimed, you encounter God. It might be in the gift of illumination, the Holy Spirit quickening something to your heart and mind. It might be in the gift of conviction, which we need. It might be some increased faith or affection for God or increased hope in your situation. For good reason, J.I. Packer has written, the proper aim of preaching is to mediate meetings with God. That, that's why we preach as we do, typically expositionally. But, but catch this. The proper aim, the proper goal, as God's breathed out word is preached, is to mediate a meeting between us and him to encounter God. And not only in our singing and preaching, but also through the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of Jesus as he taught, but it's also an encounter. 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writes about the Lord's Supper, the cup, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation? And there's a Greek word there you may know, koinonia, often translated fellowship. Is it not a participation, a fellowship in the blood of Christ? The bread. The bread that we break, is it not a participation or fellowship in the body of 
Christ. Now, the elements of the bread and the cup never change. The bread remains bread. The juice stays juice. The wine stays wine. But through them, Paul is saying, God is saying, in some real but mysterious way, there is a sense of fellowship with the risen Christ by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's an encounter with God. Sam Storms comments, to partake of the elements of the Lord's table is to come under his influence and power. It is to commune. Remember how we said we're forming disciples in communion with God? It is to commune and share with his abiding presence. Friends, the bottom line is come expectantly on Sunday. Come, come needy to receive and come expectantly to enjoy God himself. Come, come realizing that in some sense we join with the church in heaven. Come realizing we encounter God and his God-breathed word preached. Come realizing we have fellowship with the risen Christ by his spirit. And so you are formed as a disciple. And one last thing. There's much we could say here, but one last reason. Third, we are shaped by the God we worship. We receive from him, we encounter him, and we are shaped, formed by the God we worship. This is building on what we've already said, isn't it? It's a little bit repetitive, but I didn't know how else to break this out. We've already seen this in ways, receiving from God, encountering God, but this is still worth spelling out more explicitly. The, the church for a long time has had a saying in Latin that goes like this, lex orandi, lex credenda. It's just saying the law of what is prayed, worship, is the law of what is believed. What you pray, how you worship, forms what you believe. To say it more simply, we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. And that's a biblical principle. In Psalm 115, God to, of the nations says, their idols, their idols that they worship, the silver and gold, the work of human hands, they have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, these idols. They have hands but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. That's lex orandi, lex credenda, the law of what is prayed is the law of what we believe. We become like what we worship. If we worship idols, we become spiritually deaf and mute. But God says the same to his own people. Jeremiah 2, he says, Thus says the Lord, what, did you, what wrong did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me and went after worthlessness. And notice, became worthless. Same in 2 Kings, we find God saying, They went after false gods and became false. You become like 
what you worship. Greg Beal has written a whole book about this, but here's, I think, all you need to know. What people revere, they resemble. That can work two ways, either for ruin or restoration. I mean, you talk about formation. You talk about forming disciples, he captures it. What people revere, they resemble, become like, either for ruin or, on the flip side, if we worship the living God, for restoration. Think about just think about our singing worship alone. Think about how music makes content stick. Think about ad jingles and how they do this. My favorite of all time is, of course, um, the one for Tab Cola. <laughs> it was. This is probably the 1970s, but I remember it. Tab, tab, cola, what a beautiful drink. Tab, tab, cola for beautiful people. Tab, you're beautiful to me. That, I mean, that's, that's going on 50 years ago, and I remember that, even though I want to forget it, and you do too. Think about a pop song from your teen years. I mean, you still remember the lyrics, even if you don't want to. Music makes things stick. which is why Mark Knoll has said, we are what we sing as Christians. We are what we sing. He's playing off the saying, you are what you eat, isn't he? You know, I love tortilla chips. I could eat a whole monster bag of tortilla chips in one sitting. I love tortilla chips. I love the taste, the salt, the crunch. Love tortilla chips, not the healthiest diet in the world. If I am living off of tortilla chips, I will essentially become what I eat, like a tortilla chip. <laughs> not going to be good for my health. You need some meats and vegetables. In a similar way, Noel is saying, we are what we sing. If we sing mainly tortilla chip songs that don't have spiritual nutrients, we're going to get malnourished. We need meat and, and veggie songs, like we sang earlier, before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. You probably know those words by heart. You've sung them many times, and they're straight from Concepts in the book of Hebrews. Those songs have shaped you in a good way. We're, just, we're formed as disciples here. We're shaped by God in our affections as we sing. In our affections. Jonathan Edwards, in his sort of classic treatise, Religious Affections, says, the duty... The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed for us to receive, wholly to excite and express religious affections. Don't you find that? Through song, through song, you respond in your heart to God and fresh 
affections for God are stirred, so you are shaped as you're here. Your affections are formed as you're here. And we could talk about how we're formed for our affection for each other, how our unity is affected as well. But let's land this plane because we've covered a lot. Friends, do you see why? In the midst of the great de-churching, quote-unquote, do you see why the, the Sunday service is, is so vital for your formation, for your growth as a, as a follower of Jesus? This is not about fulfilling an obligation merely. It's not about a duty mainly. The, these are realities that can protect you and me from the horror, the horror of the same old thing. When you realize we gather to worship God through song, through scripture, through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we gather and we receive from God. He meets you. Your great benefactor meets you. You encounter God. You enjoy his presence with the heavenly throng in some fashion, and you are shaped by God, by truth, and in your affections, and all through Jesus, all through your great high priest, through whom we draw near and enjoy these great privileges. So let's pray together. And the music team can come back, and those who are serving us the Lord's Supper can prepare. And take a moment, just maybe even close your eyes for the purpose of concentration. And respond to anything the Holy Spirit's been quickening for you, encouraging you with, illuminating for you. Some way he's been putting a, a why before you that maybe you've, you've lost sight of a bit. A way you receive from God here a way in which you encounter God, a way in which you are shaped by God. Just respond to him in that. If there's something to confess to him, you can do that. The Lord is eager to forgive. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the privilege we have of gathering like this. We are not, as the first recipients of Hebrews, under the pressure of persecution for Jesus' sake. We gather freely. And yet keep us from 
what I know I can experience, the, the horror of the same old thing. Keep this privilege alive to our hearts and minds through the why as we gather. Let us receive from you all the more. Let us be more sensible of your nearness as we encounter you all the more. Let us be shaped by you corporately, formed by you in our discipleship. All the more we pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.